All right, this is kind of like the remnant here this morning, huh? So we're dealing, I'm sure, with uh, vacations and uh, our youth being gone, and yet we are here and uh, we have much to learn uh, this morning from God's Word. I'm excited. Uh, Yvonne and I, we've been, our family has been on, uh, on vacation uh, this past actually three weeks or so, and it's been a wonderful time. Um, for those of you who don't know, Yvonne grew up in sunny, warm, perfect weather, California, and so we take our vacation every year out to sunny, warm, perfect California, and uh, we, we just enjoy our time uh, out there, and we've been married for 29 years, and 28 of those summers we've made the trip to California, and we did that again this year. It was great. What was great is that all of our children were able to join us. Uh, it was really a, a, a great thing. Um, is it Avon and I drove out alone? We had a good time, um, kind of like a long extended date for four or five days, three or four days. We got out to California, then our kids started flying out. I took four trips to the airport, uh, just to Oakland and to San Francisco and to Oakland and to Oakland again. And finally, by that Sunday, that week, we we're all together. We spent a week in Yosemite. I'm not sure how many have been to Yosemite before. Just an amazing, like, like the walls, I mean, 2,000, 2,500 feet tall. So uh, kind of on all side around you, and it's about uh, eight miles in, maybe, just it's, it's amazing. Just uh, you can't capture it on pictures, just encourage you as much as you can. If you get out there, it's one of the dearest places in the world, I think. Uh, we spent a, a, uh, um, a, a day in Sacramento with some of our dear friends and um, our college day friends, and I was reminded again that there's a, there's a man in California who listens to every single one of my podcasts, just a, a friend of mine. And so we got out there, and he's telling us all about kind of what I've been preaching on. So Stuart, welcome <laughs> again. He picks up on, on podcasts. It's super encouraging. We spent some time in the Redwoods at Mere Woods. These are 300-foot-tall trees. Just amazing time we had. And I know the Browns made it to the Redwoods. Yes? Do you like it, Thatcher? It was, it was great. Um, on our return trip, we returned uh, back to Colorado with SR and his wife Jenna, spent some time there with the Brooks family, and it was a, it was a great time at all. I, I believe I'm coming back rested and rejuvenated and um, ready, ready to go at things. Uh, just also one thing, um, we need to pray this morning for Andy Kraus, um, just to let you know. He went to the hospital um, last night, the temperature of 103, for those of you who don't know him. He, is, um, he has pancreatic cancer. He's gone through, I think, 10 of 12 initial uh, chemotherapy treatments. And this is what Amy, his daughter, wrote to me this morning as I just asked her for an update. She said this. She said, Late last night, we heard that the CT scan of his abdomen looks clear. No sign of infection. So they're looking for his infection. The COVID-19 test came back negative. So all good news, but still no answer for if there is an infection causing the fever where it's coming from. I think the plan is just to wait for the blood cultures to come back today. Um, preliminary results of 24 hours, continue hydration, antibiotics, and see how the day goes. My mom plans to go there with him today, and we're hoping they'll allow Andrew to come. Now, for those of you who get the weekly word, Andrew is his son, going to be uh, heading off the military uh, in the fall, and so just hoping to come and spend some special time with Dad before he's gone for six months or so. Um, so let, let's pray for Andy. Let's pray for our time in the Word. Father, I thank you as we have sung today that we have a friend in Jesus who will all our sorrows bear. Father, and we do have sorrows with Andy, just a, a dear 
faithful friend and brother, God, who's labored much, God, as you know, for Rock Valley Bible Church. is just tireless labor. And um, Father, we, we do pray, oh God, for his healing. Uh, he has named his pancreatic tumor Little Joe. We pray for Little Joe to get littler and littler through the chemotherapy and just would pray that you would help him uh, strengthen him uh, in the hospital uh, just with Adriana uh, to support him. And, and I do pray for opportunity for Andrew to come and be able to see him today. Uh, just as Andrew's around all week, uh, God, we do thank you for the timing of that. Just would pray you'd be merciful to the, the Kraus family and just help them as they continue to walk through uh, these days of, um, uh, of pancreatic cancer, which are hard and difficult days. So we, we love you and thank you and trust you in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning for a text, I want to look at Hebrews chapter 4 and uh, verses 14 through 16. Um, we've been preaching through the book of Acts, and we've just been going section by section uh, through the book of Acts since this past fall, and we finished chapter 10 before we went on vacation, but we're going to have a few weeks here before we start up again in chapter 11, just as some housekeeping things to uh, take care of. Also, just my habit when I come back from vacation, I just want to preach from the overflow of my heart, some things I'm learning about, and uh, I spent some time this week just really thinking about uh, this, this week, even this vacation, uh, Hebrews 4. 14 to 16, which speaks about the, um, the high priestly role of Jesus, as we, we sang about that today, right? Jesus, my great high priest, offered his blood and died for me. Now I approach the throne in confidence with uh, Jesus, my, my great high priest. We sang before a throne of God above, which just, just speaks about, right? We come to Jesus, who's our throne of God above. He is our advocate. This is a, a theme in Scripture, not merely here in uh, Hebrews Four, but it's also found in Second John two verse one. It's found there. Jesus called an advocate. It's it's even found in uh, Romans eight, where it speaks. We don't even know how to pray, but the Spirit is involved in the Trinity. How that is, the Spirit's even praying for us here. God is praying to God on our behalf, and I, I feel like this is a, a helpful message for us. This, this passage is a precious passage to me. I remember in seminary being in a homiletics class, and uh, you got to. Pick a passage that you're going to preach before your peers, just whatever, three or four, um, uh, whoever's in the class. And this is one of the passages I took because there's such a way in which it ministers really to my soul. I think it will be ministered to our whole souls as it gives really practical help on how to live the Christian life. And whenever I come to this passage, I'm always struck by just how much in life we need help. Um, you know, our family, we came home from vacation this past week and, and walked in the door and it was a little hot. And we turned, on our, uh, turned down our thermometer, I guess, to turn the air conditioner on and all we heard was, mm. and so I don't know anything about air conditioners, <laughs> but Garth does. So I called Garth and $40 later in a new capacitor, we had uh, cool air in our house. And uh, Ivana and I have been on our walks. We come home. Oh, it's been, been really hot. We come home. And Ivana said, Garth, Garth, Ivana said several times, I am thankful to God for Garth because <laughs> we have a, a cool house. He came over just that night. Sometimes, right, we don't even need help, but sometimes we're on the helping end. Just yesterday, I received a call from my sister-in-law. She's having some problems with her computer. When she booted up, she couldn't log in. Like the, 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 the login place was all typed out, and she couldn't even type in it. It was kind of 
kind of stuck for her. And so as a former IT professional, I was all the more glad to help. And speaking her on the phone, and then she soon FaceTimed me, and I saw what was happening, and, and saw eventually we, we logged into safe mode, and we opened up the text editor, and we saw plus signs going plus, 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 there's your problem. Your plus sign somehow is stuck. So I hit it a few times, tried hitting it, and, and I said, well, maybe try some uh, um, compressed air to shoot at it, and she didn't have any, but then we hung up, and later she took it and hit, hit the button and took it and banged it on the back a little bit. Whatever was in there dislodged, and she could work it. And so I was a help to her. It's uh, always fun to be. It's more blessed to give than to receive. It's always nice to be the one helper, but we do need help. And, and really, that's, that's how it is, right? With Andy Krauss and his pancreatic cancer, there's been many, the church, who've given him help. Recently, they built a deck. Many men of this church have lent him a hand and built him a deck. Where there's Kat, it's moving to Idaho. The family, the Gieschels, moved her out to Idaho. Um, Pollock at church, right? Whatever happens out, out there, we all need help for those who serve us and, and help us. Any job you have, you need various people doing their jobs. You need HR to help, right? You, you, need, you need bosses to give direction. You need workers. It's the way the world works. We need each other's help. And in the spiritual realm, it's exactly the same. We need help. We can't do it on our own. And first of all, we need help to be saved, obviously, right? I mean, we cannot save ourselves. We're lost in our sin under the wrath of God. And the only way out is through Jesus Christ, because He did what we could not do for ourselves, paying for our sins upon the cross. And His death means that we might escape the punishment for our sins, because God punished Jesus in our place. And if we simply believe in Jesus and trust Him, we receive forgiveness of sins. As Paul wrote to the church in the city of Antioch, which we're going to see in a few weeks, Acts chapter 13, verse 38, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And I'm proclaiming that to you today, that through Jesus Christ forgiveness of sins is proclaimed. It's faith in Jesus where sins are forgiven. It's a gospel, not that we earn our salvation or merit it in any way. It's not even that we did our part and that Jesus then did the rest. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Jesus did what we could not do for ourselves. Romans 5, 6, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. Ungodly before Christ came into our lives. And then godly and transformed by the power of His grace. And through faith in Christ, we're forgiven and made right with God. And maybe there are some of you here today who haven't trusted in Christ. Who aren't right with God. You haven't believed in Jesus. And I, I exhort you to believe. And, and this morning, as we look at our passage in Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, we're gonna, I'm going to present to you a, a wonderful picture of a wonderful Savior that we have, and maybe that will draw you, you to Him. Well, just believing in Christ is where our, our Christian lives begin, right? But that, that, that's, that's just the beginning. I, I mean, after our salvation um, comes our progress in sanctification, right? That is the washing, right? Walking daily with Jesus. And we need help to be sanctified, when we believe in Jesus, right, we, we start this long walk towards eternity. I, I love John Bunyan who pictured it well in his plas- classic, The Pilgrim's Progress. This picture here is um, just a, a movie that was made of it, a, a real fine movie. I think you can find it online if you, if you look hard enough. But Bunyan describes a Christian life metaphorically as a man walking along a path, leaving the city of destruction and heading to the celestial city. And along the way, he faces joys and he faces sorrows. He meets friends like faithful and hopeful who encourage him along the way. They're adversaries like formalist and 
hypocrisy and worldly wise men who try to draw him off the path. And sometimes he is drawn off the path. And sometimes he comes back on. And he faces depression, the slew of despond, and questions of his faith and doubting castle. Yet through it all, the Lord is faithful to bring him along to the celestial city. It's a great picture of our Christian lives. See, Christian lives are not an easy walk. They're filled with ups and downs, successes and failures. The Christian life is filled with temptations, some of which are conquered and some of which are not. We succumb to sin. And the Christian life is really a struggle to please the Lord, which we so want to do, but find ourselves failing too often. Paul said it in Romans chapter 7, 14 through 15, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Paul is describing the, the, the tension within us, that we, we have this good that we want, we, we know what the law of God says, and we want to do it, but very often we do not do what we want. In fact, we do the very things we hate saying the things that we wish we wouldn't have said, going places we wish we would never have gone. The good news, though, that I'm bringing this morning is this. We don't need to walk it alone. We don't need to walk the Christian life in our own power. In other words, right, Jesus doesn't save us from our sins and just leave us there. No, He's there willing to help. And He helps really in two ways. He gives us mercy and He gives us grace. And we're going to see both these things in our text this morning. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. If you haven't opened your Bibles yet or turned them on, I encourage you to do that now. Uh, just follow along as you see my thoughts just coming straight from this passage of Scripture here this morning. The, the title of my message is really a question. Do you need grace and mercy? Do you need grace and mercy? Actually, that's sort of a, a, a kind way to say you need grace and mercy. Okay. You need grace and mercy. It's a little bit like like if you have some breath mints, and you say, yeah, are, are you interested in some breath mints? <laughs> That's a kind way of saying um, you need some breath mints, all right? So, do you need mercy and grace? Yes, yes. So, do you need mercy and grace? What's the answer? Yes, yes absolutely. <laughs> I love your enthusiasm there, Trey. Absolutely. Yes, we need God's mercy and grace. And good news this morning is that grace and mercy and mercy and grace are available to you just for the asking. If you don't have it, it's because you don't ask. And my hope and prayer is that we will ask. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Let us therefore strive to enter... I'm sorry, 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Well, here's my, my first point, simply this. We have a high priest do you need mercy from on high? Do you need grace from the Lord? The good news is that we have a high priest who has mercy and has grace and is willing and ready to give it to us. In fact, this is the job of a high priest. In the Old Testament, when God established the tabernacle and the way of worship, He established a priestly system where, where certain men were ordained as priests would service the role of a mediator between God and men. And that those, when those in Israel sinned, they would bring to the priest an animal, 
And they would bring also with them a readiness to confess their sins. And they'd bring the animal to the priest and they would confess their sins. And the priest would lay his head on the animal and pray for these people in mercy and grace. And then he'd slaughter the animal, sacrifice them before the Lord. And and the promise of God is that the sins that were confessed to the priest would be forgiven. Repeated many times, Leviticus 4 and, and 5. Often. They're granting mercy and grace is what God did. And, and this is a system of worship that, that God established. And He established it in the Old Testament for purpose, to teach us a lesson that when you sin, you need a sacrifice. That when you sin, you need a sacrifice. In fact, this was drilled into the head of every Jew from the day they were born. And because, in some regards, offering up sacrifice was a regular experience for the Jews as they went back to Jerusalem and they went to the temple and they went to the tabernacle and they saw these animals burning up is indelibly marked on their minds. Why? Why, Daddy? Why, why did they kill that bull? Why, why did they kill that goat? Well, because our sins require a sacrifice. And over and over and over again, the Jews would be taught that. And that, of course, is why you need to believe in Jesus to be saved, because sin requires a sacrifice. Jesus now is the ultimate sacrifice. Peter said, 1 Peter 2, 24, picking up on this this bearing sins terminology, Jesus bore our sins in His body on the tree. See, Jesus bore all our sins. His body on on the cross. That's why we don't need priests anymore, because Jesus is our priest. And we sin, we go to Jesus now and not to priests. Now, among these priests was a high priest. He was the priest of priests. He was the one who was over all the priests. And he was the one designated by God to plead once a year for all the people of Israel on the Day of Atonement. In the seventh month, on the tenth day, this high priest would would go into the most holy place himself and present a bull as a burnt offering for himself first. And he would take the, the blood from this bowl and he'd, he'd take it in his finger and he'd, he'd, he'd sprinkle it seven times on the front of, of the Ark of the Covenant there in the most holy place. Cleansing himself, confessing his own sins because he needed to have a perfect priest in order to offer up a sacrifice for all the people. So he'd cleanse himself first and then he'd go out and he'd take the goat and, a, and the blood from the goat and he'd go into the, the holy place the same way he did with the bull and he'd, he'd take this, this blood of the goat and with his finger, flick it seven times right onto the Ark of the Covenant and thereby right, cleansing the sins of Israel. He did that, as it says in Leviticus 16, verse 34, that he made atonement for all the people of Israel. And now the writer of the Hebrews argues this way, Jesus is now our high priest. He's the one who can atone for our sins. In fact, look back at chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a holy calling, heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle, and here it is, the high priest of our confession. Jesus is our high priest. That's why we don't need the temple anymore. That's why we don't need Old Testament priests anymore. That's why we don't need Catholic priests, right, offering up a sacrifice of Jesus. He's been offered. We don't need a priest because we have, Jesus is our great high priest. And, and it says here in chapter 3, verse 1, he's the high priest of our confession. Right? The confession is not something that you go and you admit you're wrong. A confession is a, a list of what you believe. Now, in recent months, we've been going through the book of Acts, and we've seen over and over and over again, and I've tried to pound this into you, that the apostles, when they preach to the people, preach this, this basic outline in their mind. They preach the, the life of Jesus, 
And then they preached the death of Jesus. And then His burial and His resurrection up. And then His ascension and then His exaltation. They, they spoke of His life, how He was sinless. They spoke of His death, how He was crucified unjustly. They spoke of His burial, that He was actually put in the ground. They spoke of His resurrection, that He raised from the dead without experiencing corruption. And people saw Him alive. They ate with Him. They, they drank with Him. They talked with Him. And then they saw His ascension into heaven, never to experience death again. And finally, they spoke about His exaltation in heaven. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. These were their confessions. This was their confession of the early church. In fact, listen to the Apostles' Creed. Right? This wasn't formed exactly at the time of the Apostles, but it's formed later as a representation of what the Apostles believed. Right? I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He ascended into heaven. He rose from the dead on the third day. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. There it is, right? His life. He was really born of the Virgin Mary. And he really suffered, right? He died unjustly, Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and he was buried. But he rose in the third day, and he ascended up, and now he sits. And that's our confession, that he is exalted, sitting high, and as it says here in chapter four, in verse 14, right, he is our great high priest. And so let us hold fast this confession. And just as the high priest on earth made intercession for all the people of Israel, so does Jesus. In fact, that's why John 17 is called the high priestly prayer. Because Jesus is praying for himself for five verses. And, and then he prays for like his disciples who are right there before him for like um, 15 verses. I'm not sure exactly what it is. And then he even prays for us, all those who will believe through their word. Here he is, Jesus praying for us on earth, and that's the same thing that he does in heaven as he prays for us. He makes intercession for his people. In fact, if you want to look in Hebrews over seven, chapter 7 and verse 25, we see that, that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. In other words, it's not that Jesus just saves us from our sin and, and lets us go. No, he saves us from our sins and he keeps us until the end. He's able to save us to the uttermost. Now, for those of you who have been working on fighter verses, as, as I have this past year, this week, Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. That, that the work that he began in Philippi, in the church there, and the people who believed, he's going to bring it to an end in the day of Christ Jesus. See, Jesus isn't just this Savior who lets us alone. He, he's a Savior who saves us and takes us in, embraces us, and carries us into the end. He's able to save to the uttermost. A and why? He's able, and how, I guess? He's able to save to the uttermost, Hebrews 7 and verse 25. Those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for us, for them. And that's why it's so important for us to, as believers in Jesus Christ to draw near. To draw near, as our, our text says. Right? Verse 16, but I get ahead of myself a little bit. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Is that he always lives to make intercession for us, for those who, for who? For those who draw near to him, that we might receive mercy and grace. And this is a major theme in all of Hebrews. He spends much of chapter 5, much of chapter 7, right, demonstrating how Jesus is a high priest and how he's so much better than the other high priests, better than Aaron. Better than all the high priests who offered up a, a better sacrifice. And, and the message of the original hearers was clear. Listen, right? There's no need to return to the Jewish high priest because Jesus is far better 
than any high priest that we might have. And I just say this, application, right? We have a high priest. We need to embrace that. Like, we need to think long and hard what it means that Jesus is in heaven right now praying for us. I mean, maybe it's a doctrine that we know and, and that we just kind of, oh yeah, he's there. But it's, it's impactful when you really realize that, that he is in heaven as playing a priestly role, right? pleading our case on God's behalf. And our case is really his case because he died for us. So he's saying, look at me, not him. Right? Pardon him and look on me is what he says to his Lord, to God, his Father. As he sits in the heavens at his right hand making intercession for us. And I just say this, this resource is at our disposal. It's a ready resource that we have. But getting back to this question, do you need mercy and grace? Yes, you need mercy and grace. It's a needed resource. It's something you really need. Jesus to sustain us. Well, let's, let's move on. Do you need mercy and grace? Yeah, we have a, a high priest who's ready and willing to give mercy. Secondly, right, verse 15, he's able to sympathize with us. And think about this. Though Jesus is our great high priest, though Jesus sits in the, the heavens, though he has the name that, that is above every name, and he sits right there at the right hand of God, yet he's not above us. It, it's what an amazing thing. Like how many kings and presidents, right, are, are way above us. Like, they're, they're so high and so lofty and have so many things that they're, they're trying to get done that for the average Joe... They don't have time. Not so with Jesus. He's able to sympathize in the Godhead. and Only God could do this, right? Able to sympathize with each and every single one of us. And why? Because He became one of us. He can sympathize with us because He, came, he became one of us. That's why chapter 2 and verse 17 says, Therefore He had to be made like His brothers in every respect, so they might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. See, the idea is that Jesus became one of us so that he might be the great high priest. It's what we celebrate at Christmas time. God becoming flesh. Jesus right, becoming like us to experience all of humanity from birth to life to death. Joys, sorrows, pains, happiness, weaknesses. Jesus knows what it's like to be a frail human. It's what gives him the ability to sympathize. That's what verse 15 says, right? We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. That's a double negative, right? Meaning a positive. Not that we don't have a high priest who's unable, but we have a high priest who is fully able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Right, one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And this is why Jesus has a heart to give grace and mercy to us, because He knows how much we need it. Now, He doesn't know in some abstract way. He knows because He's experienced it Himself. You know, sometimes in the Old Testament, um, the Bible speaks about God having ears or eyes or or wings, or feet, or arms, and all that's like anthropomorphic language, like, like trying to describe what God is doing um, in ways that God really isn't, but this isn't anthropomorphic. This is, this is reality 
that God came into the flesh to be one of us. And he experienced it. And in days of his flesh, he knew how much he needed to it. He cried out to God his Father. In fact, if you look over at chapter 5 and verse 7, in the days of his flesh that is Jesus, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Takes you back to the, the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus sweating drops of blood. So great was the, the tension and the, and the difficulty and the stress of about to bear in his body the sins of all who would believe. Taking the shame upon himself upon that cross. And he's there crying. He, he knew what it was like to have nowhere else to turn but to his heavenly Father. And he knows what it's like for us to have nowhere else to turn except to cry out to him who was able to save us from our, our trials and our lives. And as Jesus is sympathizing with us, he's willing to give us grace and mercy in our time of need. Well, the um, story of our day is Olympics, and the story of the Olympics is this gal. What's her name? Simone Biles. Good. And... Um, you know, she's the one who was expected to win all the, the gold medals like she did last Olympics. She's called the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Yet she's withdrawn from all of her events, almost all of them. I think she did a vault, and maybe she got one more that perhaps she might withdraw from. But a lot of events she's withdrawn from. It's interesting that just hearing Americans initially when this came out, right, so many against her, calling her disgrace to our country, calling her selfish for taking a spot on the uh, Olympic national team that could have been for someone else. And as it's come out more and more, we, we've learned that she's, you know she's experiencing? What's it called? I just learned this like yesterday. What's it called? The twisties. Yeah, she's experienced the twisties. I've never heard of the twisties before. How many of you have heard of twisties before? No, you haven't. <laughs> Those are Twizzlers, right? Those are my favorite. Those are what you heard of, not Twisties, okay? And the, the Stokites, they're on the camping trip, so they, they've heard of the Twisties. Surely, yes, Jake is a gymnastics coach. I've never heard of the Twisties, but apparently, right, it's this mental block that caused gymnasts, right, to, to lose control of their body while they're in the air. And that's what Simone Biles has been dealing with this past week. And, and I think that it has something to do with the tremendous, incredible pressure that she has to repeat as Olympic champion. I mean, just to think that you, you won the goal, you're totally expected, right? If you get silver, major disappointment. And all that pressure, even I heard that she tweeted out, right, the weight of the world is on my shoulders. Just the, all of that, right, it came, came down, I'm sure, and has caused her like to just be so stressed out with the, the twisties. But it's interesting that... that she says she just can't compete. But in times, just recent days, there have been some former gymnasts who have spoken about this. Former U.S. national team member Aliyah Finnegan, I'm not sure if that's how you say her name, she says, I've had the twisties since I was 11. I cannot imagine the fear of having it happen to you during competition. You have absolutely no control over your body and what it does. The more you psych yourself out about it, the worse it becomes. And I'm sure that Simone Biles, like it's been, it's been difficult, and then the more she thinks about it, like it, it gets worse and worse. One of her teammates in the 2016 Olympics, Lori Hernandez, said this, I've had the twisties before, hated it so much. It's painful. It actively makes you feel like you're not the caliber of athlete you are. Now, I'm no expert on the twisties, right? I've never experienced them before, right? Uh, like, like mounting a, a double twisting, double back off the balance beam. I've never experienced twisties in doing that. So I, I don't really know exactly what it's like. I've never done that before either, just to <laughs> let you know. But I've never experienced the twisties, you see. 
But those who know what it's like have what? Come out with great sympathy towards her. Those who don't know what it's like, slam her. But those who do have come great sympathy to her. And, and that is my point with Jesus, is that we have one who has, has great sympathy for us. He's our, our high priest, right? Because he has sympathy for us because he has been there. And having been there, actually, think about this. It's not possible for him not to have been there. Right? And Thomas Goodwin wrote it this way. God is forever lasting become a man. In other words, Jesus, having once become a man, can never be in the state of not having ever been a man. Unless he's always and forever able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. See, he knows what it's like to face the trials and difficulties and weaknesses that we all face. I mean, face. Just think about Jesus in his humanity when he walked on the earth. He was tired, John 4. Um, he sent the disciples to town to get the food, and he was sitting there fatigued by the the woman at the well, that, that well in Sychar in Samaria. Jesus knows what it's like to be hungry and thirsty. Even he said upon the cross, I thirst. He, he knows what it's like to experience emotion. The death of Lazarus. He wept. Jesus knew the joy of social celebration. He attended the wedding of Cana. In fact, he even brought on more wine to continue the merriment. He knew joys. He knew sorrows. He knew what it was like to be a little boy, Trey. He knew that. And Takaya, he knew exactly what it was like to hear your mom tell you something you don't really want to do and just wrestling with that, what it means. He can sympathize with little boys and little girls because he's been there. Jesus knows what it's like to be scorned and ridiculed by others. He was despised and forsaken of men. He knows what it is to be abandoned as the, 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 his, his sheep scattered the day of his death when they, he needed them the most. He knew what it was to face conflict with others, had massive conflict with Pharisees and Sadducees over and over and over and over again. He knew what it was, was to, to face uh, injustice, right? He himself cre- experienced the greatest injustice in the world by dying on the cross. The only person in all of history who did not deserve the cross got the cross. Well, we who deserve the cross don't get the cross because of him. But he knows what it was like to face injustice. He knows what it was like to face disappointment. Near the end of his ministry, he lamented over the hardness of Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I longed to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. He was disappointed. He knows what it was like to be tempted. At the beginning of his ministry, he's tempted 40 days and 40 nights. So he fasted in the wilderness and tempted by the devil himself. And the promise of verse 15, coming back to Hebrews 4, just reflecting upon the humanness of, of Jesus, is that we have a high priest who can sympathize with us in our weaknesses. And he's one in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. In other words, right, Jesus went through all of our experiences victorious, never sinning in the process. So I, I don't care how far the temptation has gone in your life, Jesus went further because he conquered that. Whereas we often the temptation comes and maybe you give in at some point. He, he went the whole way. He knows what it's like. And He can help us. Because He can give us exactly what we need to overcome. You know, what Simone Biles really needs this week? What she really needed? She needed another gymnast to come along. Another gymnast who had been through what she was through. Now, I'm not sure if there's any gymnast who trying to repeat the goals with so much pressure on, but that's what she needed. One who would compete at the highest level 
facing the same pressure, expecting to win all the gold medals, who experienced the twisties, who understood it, and overcame it to win the gold. But not only just advice of how she did it, right? but Simone Biles needed this, this, this gal who won the gold to be able to transfer that ability to her. Transfer some ability, right? Maybe it's some pill, maybe some Dramamine or something, or, or some counsel or something to read, or something, something in your mind. That's what she really needed. Someone to give her something to overcome who'd been there before, and here you've got it. And that's exactly what we have in Jesus. Not only has he experienced what we've experienced, what we have experienced, but he experienced it to the uttermost, conquered it, and is able to give us exactly what we need in order to live victoriously through the same trials. And what do we need? Two things. What are they? Grace and mercy. Here's our third point. Now we have a high priest who can sympathize with us, but he gives grace and mercy the exact antidote to exactly what we need. The great pills, if you will. The great thing that we need. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's really a call for us to pray, is it not? It's a call for us to pray. It's a call for us to pray with confidence, knowing that Jesus holds everything that we need for our help to be able to conquer the the weaknesses and trials and temptations of this life. And Jesus has that and can keep us and hold us and keep us into that day and our journey to eternity. First of all, let's just consider mercy, right? He's a merciful high priest. He's ready to forgive us. He's able to pardon our transgressions, willing to overlook our iniquities. See, when we come to Jesus, He doesn't require penance from us. He doesn't require these prayers that you need to pray in order to get right. He doesn't shame us because we're so evil or we're so wicked. He doesn't remind us of our sins and says leverage against us. Oh, yeah, you're coming again. He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't roll his eyes. He's mercy. He's grandma and grandpa receiving the child with open arms. He receives it just as we are because he paid the penalty for our sins. We don't have to pay our own penalty for our own sins we made right with him. We don't need to be good enough to enter the presence of Jesus. We simply need to come. Consider those in the days of Jesus. The, the leper you know, was, was unclean. And, and when he came and touched Jesus or Jesus touched him, it's not that his uncleanliness went to Jesus. It's Jesus' cleanliness went through him. And see, when we come to Jesus, right, sinful and, and um, weak and frail and needing our help, we don't defile Jesus in any ways. right? He just comes and, and cleanses us fresh. Right? Gives a new mind, continues to sanctify us in that process. In fact, think about this. Do you remember what, Je- what you were like when Jesus died for you? You were a helpless sinner, an enemy of God. Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were in the state of sinning and evil and being enemies against God is what Romans 5.10 says. That's when he died for us. He, he, he didn't wait for us to reform before he died for us. He died for us when we were ugly. He then's working to make us beautiful. He died, as Ephesians 5, to sanctify us, cleansing us by the washing of the water with the word, Ephesians 5.26. 
But just like we need constant showers to cleanse us from daily filth, so we need constant mercy from Jesus to cleanse us, to purify us, to help us walk in a way pleasing to Him, to conform us to the image of Christ. Let me ask you, do you clean yourself up before you jump in the shower? You don't. The shower is the very thing that that helps cleanse you. And that's what it is with Christ. I mean, after our salvation, right, we don't need to clean ourselves up before we come to our high priest. He's constantly cleaning us up, constantly washing with the Word. That's what it means that Jesus is merciful. He's ready to to give mercy. And, And too often, right, we're like the prodigal son, thinking about returning to his father, and he's got this whole deal worked out in his mind. He said even beforehand, he said, here's what I'll do. I'll go back to my father, and I will tell him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So that's his plan. He's going to make this deal with with his dad. I've messed up so badly, I don't deserve to be your son anymore. And the prodigal father, prodigal actually means wasteful, like the son was wasteful in sinfulness, and the father was wasteful in his love. The wasteful love of God the Father upon undeserving sinners saw his son, ran out to meet him, and before his son could even say a word to the father, the father saw him, felt compassion, ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. The the son could barely get the deal out before his father declared that there would be a feast that night. See, and, and, and we come to Jesus oftentimes trying to make a deal, like, God, I've sinned again, just... If you'd forgive me this one time, I'm, I'm never going to do it again. Right? Trying to make this deal before God. Oh, Jesus, I, I, I messed up, right? Forgive me now, and, and I'll do such and such for you. And, and such prayers have been used down through the history of, of the world. I think about Martin Luther, right? He was in that, that, in that storm, and his whatever. He's praying to St. Anne, I think is what it was, right? Save me, and I'll be a monk. And so rather than being a law student, he was a monk and just kind of like, there's the deal aspect of things. But then Luther later understood, that's not how we deal with God. He simply wants us to come and ask for mercy. And I think one place we see this a lot is in church attendance or whatever. When, when people start sinning or getting involved in some things, they start just leaving church because they think they've got to be right to be here. They, they think that they've messed up really badly, they can't come to church, they've got to clean up their life first and then they'll come to church. That's not how it is. Right? You believed and trust in Christ. You, you're not condemned, right? But, but in your sin, oftentimes there's a broken relationship before God, and you want to restore that. But, but, but come is what God says. But people sometimes don't come to church. They think they aren't worthy. They, they do some things to try to clean themselves up. That's not so with Jesus. He wants us to come to Him. He wants people to come to Him for mercy. And in fact, also, He wants us to be around His people. In fact, often it's the people of the church that are often the very means through which we're strengthened to carry on. See, as we think about mercy, right, we think about grace. And in this context, I think those things are, are different, right? Mercy is, is just God accepting us right where we are. Grace is then giving the power so as to overcome your sin and your temptation, right? So you don't need to come again just pleading for mercy. And I know there's some Christians just plead, mercy, mercy, have mercy on us, have mercy upon us, have mercy on us. I'm like, where's the grace? The grace comes to help so that it's not always, well, I I sin and now i got to confess. I sin and now i got to confess. No, the grace is what gives the power to overcome the sin. Uh, I think a a great place to see that is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. not sure you remember that, but Paul has a, a thorn in his flesh. 
called it a messenger from Satan. We don't know what it was, whether it's some demonic attack, whether it's some physical illness, or whether it was someone against him. We, we don't know. But he said um, this thorn in the flesh came, and, and he knew that it was to help him from being conceited. He said, three times I pleaded from the Lord, this is 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, that it should leave me, right? It's a thorn. I don't like it. Take it away from me. I, I, I hate it, I don't, whatever that was. And I don't think it was identified so that it can be for us, metaphorically, like anything that's difficult in our lives, that we, we plead to, to get it away from us. Well, it's temptation. Well, it's some situation or people. And God says this, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And there we see God saying this, My grace I'm giving to you is sufficient for you to overcome this thorn in the flesh. And so as we come for mercy, right, that he, he doesn't condemn us, right, that he, this, his sin is not, not imputed to us, right? We, we come for mercy that we just be renewed afresh. And then we're also coming for grace, that he would strengthen us in our walk of sanctification, right? We've, we've taken two steps forward, but we've taken a step back, and we're pleading for mercy, but we're praying for grace to be able to take more steps forward as we seek to please him. And serve Him in, in every way. And that's what it is. Grace is sufficient. And, and I think also about how each of us can be the means of giving grace to other people. Do you know that you can give God's grace to people? It's amazing. Ephesians 4, which was Darren read for us today. Ephesians 4, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Right? That is, don't, don't take the, the destructive thoughts. Right? No destructive thoughts should be in your mouth. But rather, the only talk is only such as good for edification, that is, building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. We're not to speak badly, tearing down words. Rather, we're supposed to speak building up words. As we speak those, we can give grace to those who hear. It's among the church. It's among us. We can be instruments of God's grace just as much as, as Christ is. And, and I think even we see that in Ephesians, uh, I'm sorry, in, in Hebrews. If, so we should go back just a little bit to Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. Just really consider you, just how to, how to help keep this grace. Yes, we need to go to Christ for mercy. Yes, we need to go to Him for grace. But there is this empowerment among the people of God for this. this is especially helpful for us in these days of COVID when the church has been so separated and divided in different places. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Here it is. People, brothers, they got this unbelieving heart, right? They've been in the community. This is written to professing Christians in the community who'd seen and experienced God's Word. They were around, and yet, like Christian, even in Doubting Castle, were having this unbelieving heart, and they're, they're drifting away. And they were falling away. But the, the antidote, the, the cure to that is, like Ephesians 4.29, exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There it is, just encouraging one another, building one another up, giving grace. Or sanctification, as John Piper said, is a community project. It's all of us around encouraging and helping and strengthening that that mercy, that grace might be, might be there for us. So I hope there's been an encouraging word as we just think about the, the life of Christ. As he, He's there in heaven. He is pleased.
pleading for us. He, he's demonstrated His love for us while upon the earth, and while in heaven, he, he delights to give mercy and grace to people. This is not something that's drudging. It's a drudgery for Him. He delights to give mercy and grace to all who come to Him. So let's, let's come to Him and let's draw near. Let's pray. Oh, Father, right, right now, as You have exhorted that we should draw near to You with confidence, God, knowing full well that You hear our prayers and that You answer our prayers according to Your will. And just even here, as it's clear, is that the, the things that You dispose to us as our high priest are two things. You, you give us mercy and you, you give us grace. And so, Father, I would pray for us that we would receive mercy. God, that we would be a people who, who don't lift ourselves up as proud in any way or deserving anything. We... We, we deserve Your wrath. As the publican said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. God, we don't deserve anything before You. And so we come, God, pleading, God, that You would be merciful to us. God, that in our sin and in our despair and in our temptations and in our, our speaking and our actions and our attitudes and our thoughts, God, that You would... Just be merciful and not hold them to us. I, I'm thankful that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and yet oftentimes we can feel condemned. God, I pray that we would, God, as we feel a conviction of the ways which we have disappointed you, God, that you would be merciful and renew and restore things there. But also I pray, God, that we would find grace in you. God, that we would find this empowerment in you. God, to overcome the, the sin and temptation and, and to realize that, that it's overcome by, by You in us as we just trust You, O oh God, for our salvation, for our, our sanctification. As, as Paul said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So God, we, we just trust that You will work in us and You will give us desires for You and that we would find our joy in You, that, that our happiness and joy and delight in You would be greater than all pleasures on earth. God, for that's what it will be like someday in eternity, as Psalm 1611 says, in Your presence are, are pleasures forevermore. So help us to look forward to those pleasures. Help us be transformed by your grace that we might serve you and love you in every way. Um, Father, so we come and, and for our time of need, I, I'm thankful, O oh God, that you give us exactly what we need. And so, Father, as we pray for that, I, I pray even for all of us just this week that we might constantly and consciously be praying to you for mercy and grace. And this would encourage us and stimulate us God, beyond all measure, God, that we would walk in obedience and, and love to you. And, and so, Father, also, I just pray for our time of fellowship together at, uh, at our potluck, which we're going to have uh, just after church and just as we've trying to reestablish the first Sunday of the month, just fellowship dinners again. These are important, God, as we are, are together and exhorting and encouraging one another and all the more as the day draws near. I pray that the food that's shared, you'd bless it to our bodies. I pray that our conversations would be edifying to one another and encouraging to each other, God, and ultimately given for the glory of Jesus Christ. Help us in these things, O oh God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.